0: I'm in Charleston, South Carolina, where I spent some time with the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, uh, getting a sense of the state of play as he sees it in the potentially general election matchup between Biden and Trump. And we are going to have some clips of that interview to play for you momentarily. But first, I'm going to send it up to you in New York, Eamon. So take it away, my friend.
1: Thank you very much, Alex. And of course, we're going to be talking to you later on throughout the show because you're going to give us a big uh, preview and the very latest on the 2024 presidential race and the perspective from down there in South Carolina. But we do want to start uh, with the front runner here in New York. The Republican primary was once again in a New York courtroom. This afternoon, Trump took the stand in the damages case brought by writer E. Jean Carroll. Uh, the former president has already been found liable of sexual abuse and defamation by a civil jury. Uh, Trump today testified for only three minutes. But in those three minutes, believe it or not, the judge had to tell the jury multiple times to disregard Trump's out of order testimony. Now, at the same time Trump was taking the stand, there was a split screen, a jarring split uh, split screen. President Biden was hitting the campaign trail at a campaign event in Wisconsin. uh, President Biden touted the five billion dollars in new infrastructure investments that came as part of his bipartisan infrastructure law. He also got to tout brand new economic numbers that came out today showing the U.S. economy grew at a record pace last year. Biden is hoping to make this campaign about his accomplishments, and this is really the split-screen moment that he wanted. Trump is hoping to make this campaign about retribution and revenge for those seeking to hold him accountable for what he has done to our country. And in so many ways, this is also the split-screen moment that he wants, too. And despite the long-shot campaign of Nikki Haley, both Trump and Biden are kicking off their general election campaigns. The person who has emerged as Joe Biden's top campaign surrogate this year is none other than California Governor Gavin Newsom. Last year, uh, Newsom undertook a national campaign to challenge Republican governors across the country and highlight their extreme agendas in video ads and roadside billboards. That campaign led to a lot of speculation, particularly in right wing media, that Newsom himself was looking to possibly become the Democratic nominee in 2024. But Gavin Newsom turned that speculation on its head. He took all that media attention and used it to promote Joe Biden's re-election. He went on Fox News in prime time. He defended Biden's record on issues like immigration and the economy. He debated presidential candidate like Ron DeSantis live on Fox, helping to accelerate the disastrous collapse of DeSantis' candidacy. And now Gavin Newsom is in South Carolina, the state where President Biden is kicking off the Democratic presidential primary and where Trump hopes to put an end to the Republican presidential primary. As we mentioned at the top of the show today, Alex sat down with Governor Newsom and, you know, he told her that despite polls showing a tight race, he is very optimistic about Democratic chances come November.
0: Progressives, Republicans, independents, whoever... Might be a little bit stunned that you have, what did you say, an incredible feeling of wellness? Is yeah, that where well-being.
2: It is? Well-being, sorry. Getting out there, getting on the campaign. This is, we've just started. Tag, we're it. Democrats. Isn't this great? We don't have to just watch this Trump show 24-7 in this primary where they're defining the terms of the debate and we're reacting to that every single day. We're now on the campaign trail. First primary, nation's first primary, February 3rd, elections today, tomorrow, this weekend. It ends February third. early voting. This is what it's about. It's what we're best at because we keep crushing it. Democrats, we keep crushing it. Look at all the elections you've won, Democrats. You keep winning, you keep outperforming. It's extraordinary. Pat yourselves on the back. Our message is working. Our values are American, they're universal values. Our policies, Republicans begrudgingly celebrate and accept. I heard the governor here in his state of the state last night and he talked about these new EV investments in, in his state. Really, Mr. Governor, they tried to oppose that and is are sitting there with Trump. They can't even help themselves. But they're beneficiaries all this because that's the character and decency of the Democratic Party, that we support people, even if they didn't support us in the election.
1: Alex and Governor Newsom also talked about the Republican primary race, Ron DeSantis's epic exit and the failed efforts to take on Trump within his own party.
0: Can we just talk about Ron DeSantis? Can I allow you a moment of schadenfreude? Just like the, the mic is yours. Does he have a political future anymore?
2: I think he saved it by dropping out. Um, really? Yeah, I think he did. I mean, I think if he continued on, particularly if he continued in his own state, I think this is Haley's big consider, it has to be, uh, he was gonna get trounced in his own state. I think he was down last time I checked and when we did that debate, it was about 40% DeSantis was down in his own home state of Florida against uh, Trump. Um, so I think from that perspective, just on a humanizing level, you know, having spent a tiny bit of time with him, but obviously studying him for some time. Uh, he's a different guy now. I saw him with his kid on a video. I'm like, who's that guy? Yeah. Uh, he seems just he, he was so wound up. And I don't, this is not joyless. Me. Joyless. And, you know, you can say what you want about Trump. He's, you know, he seems a little less. Uh, wound up. He's sort of winding up in terms of his rhetoric and uh, but but a little more entertaining in that respect. But but you got to be got to know your why. And I never felt he had a why.
0: Do you think the whole primary thing was an exercise in futility? Was it always going to be Donald Trump?
2: Well, anyway, with Trump in the race that you were going to try to somehow deconstruct and connect and attach yourself to Trumpism with Trump in the race and sort of take it from him, and, and out really Trump Trump. It? I mean, it, the premise of it is it's it's rather I, I don't mean this as a cheap shot, but it, I, rather delusional as a, just a, a political analysis uh, and just factual, just based on the evidence. Uh, maybe you didn't think he was going to run. Maybe you thought he'd be convicted earlier for a crime. Or I don't know what they were seri- thinking, but it's so predictable. All this is predictable. Uh, and and I, with respect to Nikki Haley, uh, I don't know any state she can win, let alone her own state. Uh, now, I appreciate her state of mind that she's saying, all right, maybe, I assume. She says, all right, let's play this for the next few weeks. Uh-huh. See if we can close the gap a little bit. See if I can continue to raise some money. And if we can close the gap, stay within single digits, maybe I'll risk losing in South Carolina. But then picking up some delegates along the way, stick uh, around the rim of the basket and see if the ball falls off around the convention.
0: See but, if the rapture comes.
2: See if the rapture comes. But I think in absence of that, if she's down 20, 30 points in a couple weeks... Why? What, 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 what would be the political benefit of a former governor to lose her home state?
0: Yeah, the humiliation is so pretty so I acute. Just don't,
2: I, don't think she's, I don't think she would do that. So my sense is she would drop out. But I see no signs, being here the last couple of days, that she has any chance whatsoever.
1: All right. Joining me now from South Carolina is Alex Wagner, the host of Alex Wagner tonight. Also with us is Jan <laughs> Palmieri, former communications director for the Obama White House, uh, and Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign. Alex, uh, I'll start with you. I mean, it's, it, it's quite remarkable because I can't think of another uh, politician in America who commands so much authority, uh, as a political analyst, as Governor uh, Newsom does. And he says it right there in that in that soundbite that we played. You know, Nikki Haley has no shot in her home state. If she wants to win, she needs Democrats and independents to show up for her uh, like they did in New Hampshire and even bigger numbers. That's highly unlikely right now. But give us the sense of how it feels on the ground there.
0: Um, first off, let me say I've always wanted to be a guest on this show. So this is a real um, <laughs> this is a gold star day for me. Um, but to, to your question, Eamon, you know, in addition to interviewing uh, Governor Newsom, I spent some time with Jamie Harrison, uh, DNC chair, at a get out the vote event at a barbershop in Orangeburg, South Carolina, because I, you know, just happened to have a few extra <laughs> hours. And it was really interesting, right? We're, there are a lot of sort of Democratic strategists, people in the Acela corridor are talking about this this rapture strategy, right? Nikki Haley can stay in it, if she's she's the only person with, you know, electors, she's the person that could actually, you know, step in if Trump is convicted or is somehow behind bars or taken out of the race. Nobody here is talking about that. Nikki Haley, the the only mention we heard of Nikki Haley at this Democratic event, and again, Nikki Haley would need Democrats and independents to turn out for her, which is something I think everybody understands mathematically. The only mention of her in this state, South Carolina, was the fact that she closed rural hospitals. Democrats understand, Democratic voters, it seems, understand that we are in the general election. And the contrast that is being drawn right now is between Trump and Biden. And the focus of the sort of remarks that I heard from Mr. Harrison today were, you know, let's remember 2020. Let's remember the sense of hopelessness, the, f- the feeling of your soul being crushed by COVID, but also just being disenfranchised in the political system. And let's remember what Joe Biden has done in the last four years, three years. Let's let's look at the way your vote has helped change this country in a very short time, and I think that that's not just, a, of course, a reminder of the, the the legacy of the Biden administration thus far, but a, a real desire to enfranchise the voters who are going to be key to Biden's success in all this, and and. To encourage them to get off the sidelines, to make it as much about them as it is the incumbent president. I thought that was really interesting. Mm. But like the idea that somehow South Carolina voters are talking about the, you know, the the (laughs) sort of chess of a Nikki Haley candidacy lasting until the convention, as I saw it here, that wasn't happening.
1: Yeah. So, uh, Jen, the question to you is based on what Alex was saying, what we heard from uh, Governor Newsom there. Do you see her uh, staying in this race until Super Tuesday, even if she loses South Carolina? Does she have any incentive whatsoever to stay in this race beyond uh, beyond South Carolina?
3: I mean, yeah, the governor identified the reason why you would do it, which is stay in until Super Tuesday with the thought that on Super Tuesday, a lot of these states are winner-take-all, but not all on Super Tuesday, so that she could accrue some delegates on that day. And then if the rapture comes, or something happens, she is perhaps better positioned in the convention because she actually has delegates that she earned to try to win over other delegates. So it is, I mean, I suspect that, you know, having been in... Uh, presidential campaigns. Most of the ones I worked on. Wait, all? No, that's not true. Not all of them lost, but a lot, of, most of them <laughs> had to drop out at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Barack Obama, he won. Bill Clinton, he won. Um, but most of them had to drop Don't out Don't sell yourself point. out like that, Jen. <laughs> Thanks. All right, well, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, I, the point is I know about losing and having to decide when to drop out. And it's very hard to do. Coming out of New Hampshire, you're exhausted. I think that, I think her team is probably pretty amped up and motivated and, and happy now. You know, she did this, she, she put out this uh, T-shirt because Trump had a truth social post that said, if you give money to her, you'll be permanently barred from anything having to do with Trump ever again. Um, And so she put it on a T-shirt. She's selling the T-shirts today Mm. in South Carolina or last night in South Carolina. She was hot. I mean, she really went after him in a way we have not seen. And I think they might try to see, you know, where does and, you know, that can feel great in the moment and they have to. But then they have to, you know, the next two weeks look and see, Okay, where are we really and what makes sense Losing in your home state is unattractive. It's also unattractive to get out before your home state and to get out before Super Tuesday. If you've come this far and you want to try to win some delegates on Super Tuesday so that you're positioned in case something happens and in the, and the, they pick a new convention, you know, it's a convention, they pick a new nominee, which I guess was her and Ronda Sanders' strategy all along because her yeah. and Rhonda, you know, her, her strategy was not, it doesn't appear to be, you know, ever take Trump on in real you know, you know, all, until this moment.
1: Well, I think some people are probably watching her now and showing this fight that she has in her against Trump and going after Trump and wondering why in the world did you not showcase this before? Why are you doing it now when you're on the cusp yeah. of being uh, knocked out of this race? But I do want to go back to the governor for a moment, Alex, as you talk to him about how he engages uh, with right wing media, which is quite a masterclass, if you will. Really going into the heart of conservative media, Fox News debating Ron DeSantis. If I would argue, effectively knocking him out of the race for anybody who was watching uh, that live debate. But what did he have to say to you about that and his decision to do that?
0: Yeah, I mean, he is a singular figure in the Democratic world, not just because he'll go on Fox, but he seems to relish the 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 pugilism, if you will. And I sort of asked him about whether that was the net what. what to what effect, all of that? Um, this is what he had to say. Do you feel like you're making a difference when you go on Fox News? I don't know. I, my my <laughs> father-in-law seems like, oh, you're on, t- I,
2: you're on so, Your like, father-in-law yeah, is noticing. Yeah, he noticing. does. Republican. I mean, The family I say that dinners
0: are, yeah, okay. No, I mean, because I look, I... I'm not, say, I'm not saying I that critically. I have no
2: critically. animus. I, I, everybody wants to be loved needs to be loved, right? Yeah. I mean, this this fundamental notion, man, we're just all human beings. Yeah. And I have have love and respect for people I disagree with. I don't want to talk down or past anybody. Quite the contrary. And I want them to know I'm listening as well. And I am listening to Fox. I do listen. Yeah. And it's hard. I mean, it is hard. It's demoralizing sometimes, too. But the misinformation, disinformation is next level. And I figured, okay, you could just be in denial about that or accept it and just say, well, that's, you know, that's not the world I live in. Well, it's there's no leak on your side of our boat. We're all in this together. Yeah. And we have to cross-pollinate. And we have to define the term. Divorce is not an option. Sorry, Margie Taylor Greene or whoever said that. It's not an option. We can't afford that. So getting on those platforms, showing to the extent I can respect by showing up, and then asserting myself, because I do think we have to disabuse ourselves, that we can just intellectually win by stating all these facts, goes back to the beginning of this conversation, and statistics. We've got to get into the zeitgeist of how people are Mm -hmm. feeling. And we've got to push back. We've got to get into that bloodstream.
0: Do you think President Biden should do Fox interviews?
2: Uh, I I, I wonder now if I should do any more after uh, the last few appearances. So I'll leave that to President Biden.
0: I was surprised at how (laughs) honest he was, right? Like it it can't be Bad fun sure. to go into the lion's den like that. Right. But he understands the fundamental utility of not ignoring a sizable portion of the American electorate. It is it, it sort of sounds Sisyphean, but I guess I mean, look, I, I I kind of understand where he's coming from insofar as like someone has to do it. Um, he clearly doesn't think President Biden is necessarily the person to do it. But I don't know, Jen, what you think, whether this is something I mean- that Democrats need to do more of.
3: I think he's right in to question the utility of it in terms of um, moving Fox viewers to the Democratic side. I think what's valuable—it's the kind of thing that Democrats like to watch. You know, we think we like to watch it because Gavin Newsom is so effective and you know, and 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 and, and take in deconstructing their argument and showing the flaws in it, and he is he fights back and it is good for democrats to fight back and i think it's invigorating for democrats to see a democrat fight back on fox news whether you are convincing fox viewers of whether he's actually moving their their viewers i don't i i mm-hmm. i don't know i would be really interested to have you know, to see a focus group that did that because I, I can, my concern is that they just are so much in a different ecosystem that he's not breaking through in the way that you would, um, and that you would like. But it is, I mean, I think it's, it is, there, there are people who watch Fox News who can be persuaded and it is a big audience and I am a fan of people going on it, including the president. You just have to be careful about what you do because they, you know, they orchestrate it so that you are, they can use whatever you say to like, you know, Produced misleading shows for the next five days, so it's you know tricky. It's tricky. Uh,
1: su- suggesting that Fox manipulates uh, what politicians say seems uh, seems very on brand for the network. Jen Palmieri, uh, thank you so much. Alex, please stick around. We're going to talk to you a little bit more because we have more of your interview with California Governor Gavin Newsom after the break. Uh, we will hear what the border state governor has to say about the Republican legislators deciding that it might be better to not legislate or do anything whatsoever, Uh, not if it hurts Donald Trump's campaign. That's next.
4: Get the best of MSNBC all in one place every day with the MSNBC Daily Newsletter. Each morning in your inbox, you'll find expert analysis, video highlights of your favorite shows.
0: Running for re-election is when you actually get your report card from the American people.
4: Previews from our podcasts and documentaries, as well as written perspectives from the newsmakers themselves. Understand today's news. Sign up for MSNBC Daily at msnbc.com.
3: MSNBC is going to be live here all night.
4: Today's news requires more facts.
3: Palestinians and Israelis are blaming each other for the tragedy that has inflamed the region.
2: More analysis. Most of the states with the worst rates of gun deaths are ones where Republicans control the state government. And more perspective.
0: This is not just about women and pregnant people in Texas. This is about people across this country.
4: The world's never been harder to understand. That's why it's never been more important to try. MSNBC. Understand more. I think we called it right. Immigration's a big deal, a big deal, a very big deal. We have millions and millions of people flowing into our country illegally. It's just killing our country.
1: So just minutes into celebrating his victory in the New Hampshire primary on Tuesday, Donald Trump underscored the policy issue he is staking his campaign on. You heard it there. Immigration. Republican voters have so far agreed that immigration is, in fact, a very big deal. New Hampshire and Iowa Republican voters and caucus goers flagged immigration as the issue that matters most to them, second only to the economy. It is such a big deal that for months, congressional Republicans insisted that they would only support legislation that sent more aid to Ukraine if it was paired with strict border security laws. That is how big of a deal it was for them. Until this week, of course, when after weeks of negotiations with congressional Democrats and the White House, The Senate was finally on the precipice of a real border security bill, and Donald Trump pushed to pull the plug on it. In a closed-door meeting on Wednesday, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell cast doubt on the border deal, telling fellow Republicans, we don't want to do anything to undermine Trump. Now, earlier today, Alex interviewed Border State Governor Gavin Newsom of California about Senate Republicans' willingness to torpedo their border deal so Trump can keep running on his border chaos.
0: Mitch
2: McConnell, I thought that was shameful, what was reported out, that he's just completely rolling over and capitulating. Don't even get me started with the weakness of the current Speaker of the House. I mean, they don't want a deal, period, full stop. They don't want a deal. They don't want to make this a quote unquote campaign win for Joe Biden. It's just everything you need to know about the fraud that they're perpetuating on the issue of the border. They want to make this a political issue. Consistently, they have wanted to make it. Ever since there were a few brave souls with that gang of eight, if we all remember those black and white movie days. Yeah, I'm days. old
0: enough to remember that.
2: And ever since there, everyone, they just walk away, they run away. The first day he was in office, not, not the next day, the same day he gets sworn in, he puts out a comprehensive immigration plan. That was a, and yet you didn't have a counter. They had no strategy in terms of, of the Republican Party even, even combating that. They just wanted to kill it. They didn't want to debate it. They didn't want to engage. $14 billion proposal. $14 billion. That's his latest proposal to address their stated issue of border security. 2,300 new Border Patrol agents. Another 1,000 in addition to that to deal with fentanyl. Close to another billion dollars, 850 plus billion dollars just for new technology. And then address some of the issues of backlog on asylum to address those that are here waiting for asylum claims. They won't touch it. They don't want to solve this problem. They want to use it for political purposes. And again, I say this as a border state governor. No one has to introduce me to this issue. We're the largest port in the Western Hemisphere in the state of California. We live this. And I think it is a disgrace what the Republican Party is doing, what Donald Trump is doing. And this is hidden in plain sight. He sent out a tweet or some truth, whatever, yeah. saying, kill it. Yeah. And these guys are so weak. How ba- I did, it's So pathetically weak, this Republican Party and the new speaker said, oh, yes, sir, what else would you like us to do? We don't care about America. We don't care about our freedoms and liberties. We care about politics exclusively at the expense of the American people because all we care about is winning for winning's sake. That is shameful.
1: All right. Back with me from South Carolina, Alex Wagner. So, Alex, a very um, impassioned argument being made there by the governor. And I want to ask you about that because we've seen the recent polling that shows registered voters trust Republicans uh, with the issue of border security more than they trust Democrats. You've got this uh, New York Times, Siena College poll of registered voters in six battleground states showing that voters specifically trust Donald Trump to do a better job on immigration than Joe Biden. But the question, to Governor Newsom's point, can American voters consistently reward Republicans on this issue of immigration, this political issue, when Republicans are the ones tanking border legislation. Will this wind up hurting Republicans?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a sort of signal moment here, right? The idea that they would put naked political gain ahead of a problem they say is intractable and, and the, the demise of America that is poisoning the blood of the country and that it would be so nakedly partisan, I think, is a searing referendum on the modern day GOP. I mean, I to be honest, Damon, I'm a little surprised that this story even leaked because it makes... Republicans who support Trump look so bad. This is not a border deal. Look, we don't know exactly what was in it, but from the initial reporting that we have, it was not a deal that Democrats really liked. I mean, this was in exchange for funding Ukraine. And I mean, I, I honestly think this moment plays very well for President Biden, right, who starts his presidency with a comprehensive immigration plan. It goes nowhere. He basically plays rep- with Republicans on their terms and they scuttle it because it's not going to help Trump or it could help Biden and that def- therefore hurt Trump in an election year. I mean, it's so craven as to almost seem like a Democratic plot. Right. Unfortunately, I don't think it is. You know, I think this is literally how the Republican conference is running at this point. Mitch McConnell, the man who said that Donald Trump was had effectively betrayed the country on January 6th, just sent an amicus brief in support of Donald Trump's bid to stay on the ballot in the 14th Amendment case that's going to the Supreme Court. You know, this is a man whose wife Donald Trump personally attacked in racist terms. There is no standard anymore. There is no red line. So I guess this is what you get. But in an election year, man, I think this really hurts them on an issue that they care so deeply about, or at least they say they do.
1: Yeah, and it's going to be up to the president and the White House and certainly his campaign to take a page of the governor's book there and really drive home that point that they were ready to make a deal. It was the Republicans who consistently stand in the way of border security, and it's nothing more than lip service from the Republican Party.
0: Indeed. I mean, this is this is in a a way it's like Biden never has to actually present the the bitter pill to Democrats to get it passed. He can sort of say, look, I tried really hard and it's all their fault and they don't want to move on this. And I think for independents and swing voters who see this sort of transparent calculation here, I do think it's a it's a it is devastating for the Republican Party. Whenever immigration comes up, this is going to be the Biden campaign's retort.
1: A full capitulation of the Republican Party to Donald Trump is, uh, as we have seen, underway. Alex, thank you so much, my friend. It's great to see you. I know that you'll be back here tomorrow hosting the show uh, from New York. I will keep the chair warm for you, my friend.
0: Thank you so much for doing the work, Amen. I appreciate you.
1: Take care, my friend. Uh, Still ahead, we will talk to the Bulwarks' Tim Miller about what happens if Republicans do tank this border deal and what's at stake, both as a matter of policy and as a matter of 2024 politics. That's coming up next.
4: Former President Donald Trump is facing 91 indictment charges, yet he remains the Republican frontrunner. On MSNBC's podcast Prosecuting Donald Trump, veteran prosecutors Andrew Weissman and Mary McCord break down the biggest legal developments and how they could alter the election.
1: Never had a president who engaged in this kind of conduct who's running for office. He is using the criminal cases for his own campaigning.
4: Search for Prosecuting Donald Trump wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Tuesday. Jen Psaki.
3: Have you ever seen the house this dysfunctional?
4: Rachel Maddow.
3: If winning the election is his plan to stay out of prison, what happens in that election if and when he does not win it?
4: Mondays, back to back.
3: Talk about the stakes of this back and forth, given Trump's behavior. What do you make of the statement from Hamas? Why they're doing it? What what do you think it means?
4: Inside with Jen Psaki at 8 p.m. Eastern, followed by the Rachel Maddow Show at 9 p.m. Eastern, Mondays on MSNBC.
1: All right. So just two contests into the 2024 primary, the Republican National Committee appears ready to call it. Today, NBC uh, News reports that some RNC members have been circulating a draft resolution declaring Donald Trump their presumptive presidential nominee. In part, it states all evidence negates the possibility of a mathematical path forward to the 2024 Republican nomination by any candidate other than President Trump. Now, this draft won't be official until an affirmative RNC vote uh, takes place next week. But Senate Republicans are behaving as though the matter is already settled. In fact, Donald Trump is their nominee. And what he says goes days after Trump's decisive win in New Hampshire. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is reportedly backing away from a bipartisan immigration deal that would include aid for Ukraine because I guess Trump says so. Trump, the RNC's potential presumptive nominee, is campaigning on chaos at the southern border. So last night, Mitch McConnell, who had previously supported this deal, this very same deal, suddenly told his members, we are in a quandary. Republicans could try to solve a problem that they claim to care about, but they're choosing not to. Why? Because Donald Trump wants to deny Joe Biden a legislative win ahead of the election. Joining me now is Tim Miller, writer at large for The Bulwark and an MSNBC political analyst. Uh, Tim, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for making time for us. So you've got House Republicans uh, forcing strict border measures into a deal for Ukraine funding, which Democrats and some Republicans were adamant about. Now they're trying to blow up this whole deal because it might make Joe Biden look good politically. And I guess the question is, does the hypocrisy of tanking a deal they asked for actually register or matter to Republican voters?
5: Well, I don't think it matters that it's scale, unfortunately, Amen. or else they wouldn't do it. I think that a majority of Republican voters are on board with whatever Donald Trump wants. Uh, The question is, is there a minority of Donald Trump voters, are a minority of Republican voters that could be convinced about Republicans' absolutely shameful abdication of their responsibility by Democrats? I thought that I was uh, I'm not actually the biggest Gavin Newsom man Generally, but I was pretty impressed with his Messaging in that last in that last segment uh, You know, I think that that making An argument that the Republicans care about Donald Trump's whims more than They care about the border, more than they care About Ukraine, more than they care about the American People is a very compelling Argument for Democrats to make to The minority of Republican Swingish, soft Republican voters Who, who do genuinely care About this stuff. There are a handful of them out there uh, Unfortunately, not enough uh, to to defeat Donald Trump in a primary, but uh, enough to make a big difference in a general election, and and I just uh, think, hey Amen. It's unbelievably cowardly and embarrassing, and shame. I mean, like Mitch McConnell, my God. I, I mean, this was Ukraine was the one thing that he pretended that he right. cared about. I mean, yeah, there shouldn't even be a deal. Why? I don't even understand why immigration is tied to Ukraine in the first place. Mitch McConnell and the Republican senators should be working with this administration and the Democratic senators to give Ukraine the weapons they need, no strings attached. Okay, But if they're going to demand that immigration, which has nothing to do with Ukraine, be tied to it, at least negotiate in good faith. If they won't do that, Democrats need to shame them in order to cleave off the the voters that, that do care about this.
1: We, we have seen this time and time again, Tim. I think about police reform and Tim Scott negotiating in good faith with Democrats, and it kept being delayed and delayed, and they were working on something until there was nothing. And, and I keep wondering to myself, how long or why do Democrats continue to play this game with Republicans? They they, they. as you said, you're raising a very important question. Why was Ukraine even tied to immigration in the first place? Maybe because Democrats felt that they could either expose the Republicans or actually make a deal. And once again, we see that blowing up in their face that Republicans are not sincere about making a deal. Uh, and this has all fallen apart. Can Democrats effectively run on the message that you and, and Governor Newsom were highlighting that it, Republicans are sabotaging legislative deal after legislative deal?
5: I think so, especially if it's tied to Trump. This notion is pretty baked in with swing voters, that Trump only cares about himself. And if Democrats can make the case that it's not just him, it's the whole party, That all they do, uh, they're just a cult in service to Trump. They they don't even care about what they claim to care about. I I do think that that is going to resonate with certain voters. And and I got to tell you, going back to strategy, I think Democrats should play greater hardball in this. We're coming up on the next budget deal in March. I, I interviewed for the Bulwark. Jake Auchincloss out of Massachusetts, Democrat out of Massachusetts this morning. And he's arguing that, that Democrats shouldn't bail Republicans out of their budget mess. If the Republicans can't put a, together a budget uh, to keep the government open, well, maybe the Democrats should extract things from the Republicans if they're going to bail them out, as they've had to do ever since Kevin McCarthy and then Mike Johnson got in charge. Ukraine could be an issue for that. Some of the more you know, liberal or, you know, democratic uh, agenda items when it comes to the border could be could be included in that or or other issues.
1: Why do you think Mitch McConnell did what he did? I mean, as you said, he, he was bullish on Ukraine. He does want to help Ukraine. He claims he cares about Ukraine. He distanced himself from Donald Trump politically. He has not been a person who has uh, heeded Donald Trump's demands on legislation in the past. He's ignored some of it. Now he's ready to do what Trump
5: wants. Why? Because he's unbelievably weak right now. Uh, you know, and Mitch McConnell has always been a power player, uh, you know, uh, whether you like him or not. He's always been somebody that that has control of that Republican conference and, and you know, isn't and feels like he's in charge. He's not in charge now. Uh, he's very, He's been run over. Um, the party did not follow what he wanted to do over the past two years. Um, I think he's out of touch with the base once. Um, I, I, obviously, his, he's aging, uh, and so I think for a variety of reasons, Mitch McConnell just doesn't have the juice anymore. I, I hope he finds it. I got to tell you, if you're gonna, if it, this is it, and I do think this is it for Mitch McConnell. I think that either the Democrat, you know, he's either going to retire or someone will replace him. Um, and, and if you're going to retire, at least go out with some dignity. I, you know, Mitch McConnell yeah. is a cynical guy, but there are a few things that he cares about. And I would hope that he finds some backbone in the next few weeks instead of getting run over by a you know, third-rate real estate guy out of New York. And this is, it's crazy how, how pathetic Mitch McConnell looks right now.
1: I was going to say, you can take a page out of Mitt Romney's book as he leaves the Senate and standing up for what he believes to be the Amen. right thing to do. Uh, Tim Miller, it's always great to see you, my friend. Thank you so much for your time, tonight. I greatly appreciate it. Thanks, Adam. Uh, Up next on Alex Wagner tonight, a peek inside the courtroom where Donald Trump testified today. We will get the very latest from someone who was inside next. All right. So former President Donald Trump took the stand today to defend himself, I guess, arguably in the civil trial to decide how much he should have to pay for defaming writer E. Jean Carroll. Now, Trump's testimony only lasted about three minutes. But believe it or not, in those three minutes, Trump managed to break the court's rules enough that part of his testimony actually had to be stricken from the record. Our very own Lisa Rubin was in the courtroom today and is going to help us break that all down in just a moment. But that wasn't the only testimony from Trump the jury heard today. It was the most dramatic, but maybe not the most significant. The facts in this case are not in question at this point. Back in May, a different jury found Trump liable for sexually abusing and defaming E. Jean Carroll. And they ordered him to pay her five and a half million dollars. The issue before the jury today is the question of more damages for different instances of defamation. And because that was the question at hand, Carroll's lawyers decided to use Trump's own words against him. Here was a piece of the other deposition they played for the jury today, deposition from the New York Attorney General's civil fraud case against Trump, in which he brags about how wealthy he is.
4: I don't need the money. You probably see the cash. We have a lot of cash, I believe. We have uh, substantially in excess of 400 million cash. We have a lot of cash. We have great assets. And we have a very valuable company. Maybe $10 billion or something for the brand.
1: Joining us now is Lisa Rubin, MSNBC legal analyst, who is in the room for today's proceedings. Lisa, thank you so much for being with us tonight. I know it has been an exceptionally long day, another one of many for you. But I'll start broadly. What, what did you make of Donald Trump's uh, taking this stand today and, and what he had to say?
6: Fruitless from a legal perspective and Not really incrementally adding much from a political one either. Everything that Donald Trump said on the stand today is something that those who hang on his every word already knew. He denied Eugene Carroll's allegations. He stands by that. We know that because he says that all the time on Truth Social, on the campaign trail. And he denied it, he says, to defend himself. Nothing about that was surprising. The jury would have known that as well without his testimony. So, again, I think a total wash, both legally and politically.
1: Uh, The clip that we played of Donald Trump there was from the uh, attorney general's case, not the E. Jean Carroll case. But what does it say to you about the argument that her lawyers presented this as a piece of evidence in this case in the intersection of these two trials?
6: Well, let's start with the fact that any time a party to a lawsuit says something in a different venue that can be used as an admission, that can be admissible in another completely unrelated legal proceeding if it bears on some of the same issues. We know that Donald Trump, every time he either takes the stand or is deposed, says something that's damaging to himself. So last Friday, when this video came out from the New York attorney general's case where Donald Trump was deposed last April, most of us thought to ourselves, "Ah, no big deal. We've seen this transcript before. Why is this a big thing? Well, it's a huge thing because E.G. Carroll's lawyers had never seen this video before. And without the release, which was prompted by a freedom of information request by another media organization, they would have never been able to play it today. So it's really an opportunity to see how all of his worlds are converging on one another. Legal political, and then all the different legal proceedings converging as well. Yeah,
1: it's one thing to read the transcript. It's another thing to hear his own words, talk about it, and even the manner and the tone uh, certainly is a factor for the jurors. And speaking of the jury, we understand that the arguments, uh, closing arguments will be tomorrow. Um, Give me your sense on how you think it plays out from here, when we might expect a decision, how soon that might happen.
6: Well, you know... I'm not a magic April, but I will give you my best. (laughs) You know, everything, you know, everything. (laughs) No, but I do know something about juries and nothing that someone who hasn't been in my position trying a case before a jury wouldn't tell you, which is that jurors hate having to come back after a weekend. They want to go back to their normal lives. So if they're instructed by early afternoon tomorrow, I predict that they might come to a verdict by tomorrow evening. Also, Judge Luke Kaplan has made provisions for them to get meals instead of lunches, which is how a previous order of the court read. That's not a big thing to you or me, but it signals to me he's anticipating perhaps keeping the jury there late into the evening and making accommodations for that, Eamon.
1: Let me uh, get your final thoughts on and switching gears a little bit from this case to the Alvin Bragg case, because, uh, you know, he's quietly preparing his hush money case. A lot of attention on that one as well, because uh, it, it was kind of like the first case out of the gate, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but we're coming back to it now because of all of the importance that it, it still carries as um, as, a, as a legal case, but also because of what it means politically. I just want to get your thoughts on that as we see Alvin Bragg move forward with uh, with that case.
6: Well, you know, the New York Times reported on Alvin Bragg's preparations today. And the most important thing to me that stood out is Alvin Bragg's recasting this case. It's not a money for sex Mm. case anymore. It's an election interference case of its own. This is about Donald Trump's attempt to interfere with voters' ability to make an informed choice in 2016. I thought that was a really savvy way of looking at the case. I still don't think that case gets tried in March if there is a possibility that Judge Tanya Chetkin can try her case in March April or May. Judge Walmershan of the New York Supreme Court doesn't want to be in the position to interfere with that case.
1: All right, Lisa Rubin, we appreciate, appreciate you doing double duty for I know you've been doing all kinds of duties, but we appreciate you doing double duty as a legal analyst and breaking down for us uh, the magic April. <laughs> I <appreciate laughs> really appreciate it. Take care. Uh, we have one more story for you tonight. What President Biden is doing in a last ditch effort to rescue a peace for hostages deal between Israel and Hamas. More on that after the break. This week, the British television news network ITV broadcasted a horrific incident captured by one of their cameramen. And now before we play this video from ITV, uh, we have to give you a warning that it is very disturbing. On Monday, a TV journalist was filming a group of civilian men fleeing combative areas in Khan Yunis, in the south of the Gaza Strip, seen here holding a white flag. According to ITV, these men we were trying to go back into an area that was under Israeli fire in order to rescue their relatives who were trapped and in danger. The cameraman then interviewed one of the men seen here in black on the right-hand side of the screen. And moments after finishing that interview, the cameraman captured this. <laughs> The man he interviewed now laying on the ground after being shot dead, his blood seen on the white flag the men were carrying. The shooting sparked wide condemnation. Amnesty International, the Norwegian Refugee Council, called it evidence of a war crime. An Israeli military spokesperson told NBC News the video is clearly edited and we have no way to comment. The U.S. State Department, for its part, also notably declined to comment on whether the shooting was a war crime or not. Also in Khan Yunus, Israeli forces have surrounded two hospitals, trapping thousands of Palestinians inside. Al-Nasr Hospital and al Emel Hospital are among the last still providing medical care in the Strip. And now the Israeli military has ordered evacuations for that part of the city, raising fears of more airstrikes. And in Gaza City today, at least 20 people were killed and 150 injured, according to Gaza's health ministry, after an Israeli shelling hit a crowd of people waiting for humanitarian aid. Sounds of gunfire caused hundreds of civilians to panic and run with whatever they could carry. In the north of Gaza, there are reports like this one on social media of so little food that Palestinians are resorting to eating animal feed, milling it into flour to make bread. At least 25,700 people have been killed inside Gaza since the start of the war. That is according to the same Palestinian health ministry. 70% of the victims, 70% are women and children. It has now been 110 days since the October 7th Hamas attacks on Israel, and more than half of the hostages abducted remain in captivity. NBC News has learned that this weekend, President Biden plans to dispatch CIA Director William Burns to meet with Israeli and Qatari diplomats in hopes that a deal could be brokered to secure the release of those hostages still held inside Gaza. Whether that deal will include a long humanitarian pause or even a ceasefire is still a mystery to everyone. And as the Biden administration continues its steadfast support for Israel's war, new polling shows that 35% of Americans believe that at this moment, Israel is committing genocide. And when you look exclusively at President Biden's supporters, that number rises to 50%. What is clear is that the longer this war lasts, the worse it gets for the hostages and the innocent civilians inside Gaza. And the world will bear witness to more devastation and more unimaginable suffering. And it will be clear which steps were and were not taken to stop it. That is our show for tonight. You can catch me back here on weekends at 7 p.m. Eastern. Alex will be back here tomorrow with more of her interview with California Governor Gavin Newsom
0: primary season is here if you've got voting questions,
3: we've got voting answers visit nbcnews.com/plan your vote you'll find when and how to vote in your state's primary election visit nbcnews.com/plan your vote today.